You are listening to Keep Canada Weird, a weekly weird news roundup by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the weekly Keep Canada Weird discussion series. If you're new here in Keep Canada Weird, my pal Aaron Airport and I seek out and explore some of the more offbeat Canadian news stories from the past week. In tonight's episode, which was recorded on May 10th, 2022, we're going to unpack stories using three separate themes. We have a couple of curious car crashes, a perverse public pool, and two slices of dismemberment. So let's get to it. Handsome Aaron Airport. How are you doing tonight, my friend? Oh, I'm doing good. How are you, other friend? I'm actually doing extra good. I checked my what? mail. T- I checked my mail today, and yeah. I got something cool. Okay. I want to start the episode with this. For people who are listening and not watching, I'll do my best to explain what I'm seeing, and I'd like you and your reaction to explain what you're seeing as well. Mm-hmm. But let me set the scene here. For months now, there has been an ongoing storyline in the Keep Canada Weird series that features a debate between you and a listener named Ellen from the United States. It got hot, it got cold, it heated back up again. It all stems from, at least it started with the correct pronunciation of Reese is where it started, but it got way personal beyond that. And it, it it's much deeper than that now. Recently, mm-hmm. you demanded an apology from Ellen. Um, she sent a voice memo that was not apologetic at all. In fact, she yanked your cord even harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I told you this, but I got a message from Ellen after that asking for your address. And I thought, like, <laughs> I thought, whoa, like we got to slow this down. And mm. I said, Ellen, don't show up there. If you want to send him a letter or whatever, send it to me and I'll show it to him. But I can't tell you where he lives because I don't know how far this has gone. So anyway, gave her my address and I got a package in the mail today. Addressed from the United States. It had weird United States stamps on it and it said, do not bend all over it. I will tell you this as well. I may have mentioned it, but Ellen is a fantastic artist. She does collage work so that's that's the background but when i get this package from the united states with do not bend all over it right away i knew it was going to be from her i have the backs i have them turned to the back here i thought that this was going to be an attack on you but it Mm -hmm. isn't it's actually a beautiful piece that she made and what i see when i look at it is in the background, there appears to be a naked woman smoking, I think. And yeah. in the foreground are scraps of different styles of wallpaper is kind of what I see. Yeah, that that's what it looks like to me, too, from, and, from you know, your webcam. Uh, yeah, well, you'll see it in person because I'm going to hand deliver this to you shortly. I haven't yes. dusted it for poisons. Um, well, I don't... you're the first to... <laughs> You know, by the time, if there's poison in it, by the time it gets to me, you'll be long dead. Yeah, and she made it pretty clear she has no problem with me. But I think this is a beautiful piece. Um, it, I expected, when I when I saw this and I knew she was sending something, I expected it to be like a sheet of paper that said like, F you, Aaron, um, get off the show. Mm-hmm. That get is off not what, the show. <laughs> yeah. That is not what this is. Is there any message in this that I'm missing? Or is this like an apologetic piece of artwork for your wall? You know what it, it the what the impression that I get from it, uh, first off, it's it's very beautiful. Um, I'm very appreciative of it. I just want to thank Ellen for this uh, awesome, beautiful, wicked uh, little piece of art that she sent me. And um, it just looks like a, a mutual respect of, um, you know, we kind of battled over this issue of the pronunciation of Reese versus Rhesus. And, um, you know, we, we kind of butted heads over it. We both stood our ground. And in the end, we respect each other more for it. It's you know, a drive. It's come to an agreement, but it was in a journey. It was a journey we were both on. And I like to think that at the end of the day, 
right or wrong, we're both better people for having mm. gone through this together. I, I like that. It's kind of like if you watch like boxing or UFC or something like really late in like late in like the third round of a, like a vicious fight. Sometimes the fighters will just kind of stop and just touch gloves and smile like this is what we do it for. Mm -hmm. I think this, this is, is you do, and yeah. Ellen as two people who think you're right. Just being like let's go mm -hmm. um, and we may butt heads again you know like i think this this picture really puts the issue to bed you know right or wrong two warriors scrapped it out mm -hmm. and um you know and we may scrap again you know i may pronounce something another a different word um down the road that she might take yeah, offense may, to and may. and then away we go at it again you know swinging Swinging haymakers. So let's, uh, yeah, but this is lovely. For people who are interested in seeing more of Ellen's work, her she has an Instagram account where she shares a lot of her cool stuff. Uh, the, the username is E-H Collages. She sent me one as well. I don't have it right here because I've actually already put it on my wall, but it's a similar theme. So you and I will kind of have like thematic pictures. But yeah, the, the whole story yeah. comes full circle. Um, and I thank Ellen for sending that through and not including a bomb. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, the next thing that is coming full circle, uh, I don't have any anything to show off here, but we, we complain about Tim Hortons all the time. We talk about them trying different products and screwing with uh, tradition. Um, yeah. And I still, since I announced, you know, a few months ago that I'd be boycotting Tim Hortons officially, I haven't been back. Cool. Yeah, wow. I have not stepped foot in a Tim Hortons since I said that on this show. Well, I didn't step foot in a Tim. I probably stepped foot in a Tim Hortons. But what I did support is uh, we talked recently about how Tim Hortons was going to dip their toes into ice cream, um, mm -hmm. into the sale of ice cream. I was at the grocery store the other day with my nine-year-old, and there was a wall of Tim Hortons ice creams, all different flavors, modeled after or you know themed after different donuts, Timbits, whatever. My nine-year-old absolutely loves birthday cake Timbits. Uh, they had a birthday cake Timbit-themed ice cream. It was Friday night, and we stay up late on Friday nights playing video games, and we usually will get a nice treat for that. That's what mm -hmm. he asked for, so we got it and brought it home. And I can report back that. With everything I have against Tim Hortons and everything I've said about Tim Hortons up to this point, whoever made that cereal or that ice cream, it's it's good. It's very good. Yeah. Well, one of the listeners um, had called in one time when we were kind of talking oh. about the Tim Hortons ice cream, and they said that there was a particular um, distributor or you know a production facility company yeah. that would be making the ice cream for them. That's right. And that, in fact, if they were the ones making it, she knew that it would be very good ice cream. Okay. Yeah, I wish my nine-year-old was awake to come to step in and give a review, but yeah. he he loved it. Uh, and I tried a little mm -hmm. taste of it, and it was so. It, we we don't credit Tim Hortons for the quality of that ice cream. It's the company that they hired to make that ice cream. Yeah, that whoever should they be are. credited. Yeah. yeah, great work, fellas. Um, and the last Tim Hortons piece that is going to bring this full circle again. I've talked a lot about how I drink Diet Pepsi and I've become fond of drinking it from metal straws. Although right now I have a glass straw, which is really cool because you get to see the fluid come up. Oh, wow. But, That's um, exciting. Mm -hmm. Someone sent me a, uh, a picture. Tim Hortons now has Tim Hortons branded metal straws that they sell in some Tim Hortons coffee shops. So they're obviously listening to this show. That's clear that every single um, marketing and product development going forward is based off of our intense criticisms of Tim Hortons. Mm -hmm. Well, it's good that they're listening, but yeah. But anyway, that's uh, we're going to kind of this is how I want to kick off the show with issues and past topics coming full circle. But we can move on from this now uh, because we have a full plate of weird Canadian stories, unlike any episode in the past this is almost like the season finale or maybe a season premiere although it isn't but it's or no it's the mid-season break you know when there's always kind of uh, some shows yeah. will slice up into two um almost mini seasons you know yeah. like and they'll have a mid-season break cliffhanger yeah uh, although we we're have a cliffhanger planned but... although we're not taking break this is certainly um 
it's it, we're stepping up to the level you'd expect from like a mid-season break with what we mm-hmm, have here. That's right. I hardly have time to talk about our personal lives. Do you have anything going on that we need to slow things down to discuss? In my personal life? Yeah. Is anything new? <laughs> no. No, nothing. Nothing that is uh, arable on the, on the show. Oh, Christ. An infection? No, um, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, nothing here either. I've been... Yeah, nothing's new. Let's we got to get to Weird Canada. Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned, full plate tonight, and I'm able to break it down into some pretty clear themes. We have a car crash saga. We have a creepy public pool saga, and then we have some stories on the theme of dismemberment. So kind of from different uh, different sides of the weird Canadian coin, but clear themes that we'll get through. But before we get into any of these themes, there was one story that just really didn't fit in anywhere, but we certainly need to discuss it. Have you ever been to Miramichi, New Brunswick? Not that I can recall. I don't, I've never been there. All I really know about Miramichi is that some people call it Miramichi or something like that. And I've never heard anybody pronounce it that way. I've heard it. And of course, there's the <laughs> Alan Legere story, like Canada's... This, oh, yes, yes. The serial right. killer who he sent me a Christmas card um, two years ago. I did an episode on the Christmas card that the man they refer to as the monster of the Miramichi sent me. Um, there is a mystery slash art public art kind of thing happening there that we should discuss uh it's weird but it also kind of fits into we you know we talked about like the the jack shit benches and the waldo things popping up so it's kind of on that theme let me tell you about the the mysterious figure offering clues to hidden cash around miramichi new brunswick so let me tell you what happened i'm going to be reading from uh, portions of a ctv news article So a community in eastern New Brunswick has become captivated by a mysterious game that has residents following clues and searching for hidden $50 and $100 bills. The hunt is so fun, Miramichi resident Savannah Harris said in an interview on Sunday. I bring my little brother with me. It's high energy. You're looking everywhere. Six prizes of $100 were found last week. No one knows who's behind the game, started by a Facebook user who calls himself Roman Dungarvan. And I should also say Dungarvan is the name of a river uh, near Miramichi. It's also said to be haunted. There's a ghost called the Dungarvan Whooper, famous in that area. So anyway, yeah, um, the first hunt began May 2nd when Dungarvan shared a clue for where to find $100 hidden at Ritchie Wharf. Subsequent clues appeared on the Miramichi Mystery Machine Facebook page where successful searchers announced when they found the cash. The group has become a place where brains uh, the group has become a place where people brainstorm for solutions and share photos of their progress. A description of the group suggests Dungarvan took his name from a ghost story about a young cook who was murdered and buried at a lumber camp along the Dungarvan River in the late 1800s. According to local lore, he still haunts the site to this day, making terrible whooping sounds. Um Beware the whooping screams that some still hear at night, the page description says. When Harris joined the Facebook group last week, it had about 400 members, and as of Sunday evening, there were more than 2,200 followers. Clues typically involve horror movie references. One clue was the photo from the Friday the 13th series that featured a dog named Gordon. The cash for that round was hidden at Gordon's Wharf, near the mouth of the Miramichi River. Meanwhile, it appears Dungarvan is watching when players are searching for their latest stash. A message on the Facebook page alerted Samantha Savoy to the fact that she was near the hidden prize on Friday. And Dungarvan posted that a person in a gray hoodie, what Savoy was wearing that day, was so, so close. Savoy then watched as nearby searchers swooped in and found the cash in a small silver case. No one seems to know who Dungarvan is or why they've decided to hide money for people to find. Harris said whoever they are, they seem to be trying to give back to the community. And they haven't really asked for anything back from it. 
Dungarvan is encouraging successful searchers to donate a portion of their winnings to a local food bank. Savoy and, Har and Harris haven't found any cash yet, but they're hopeful Friday the 13th will be their lucky day. So, oh, you know, this week's going to have Friday the 13th. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that until I read this article. Hmm. Um, well, overall, what do you, I, I love this. I think that's cool. What yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, like, how much money so far has this person, you know, this entity invest in this kind of art project, Scavenger Hunt? Hmm. Yeah, they didn't say exactly, but by the sounds of it, at least, you know, $150. Um, but it said mm -hmm. prizes of hundreds and fifties. So, hmm. yeah, it sounds like, you know, they're they're putting quite a bit of money into this. But for, why? Well, it's, it's probably just fun yeah. <laughs> for them. I don't know. Maybe... Maybe they're on the wealthier side where it's like, you know, I'm, I could spare, you know, 500 bucks to a thousand bucks or something to kind of have some fun with people. Yeah, I think it would. Yeah, that would definitely be fun, especially if they're like that article says they're actually watching the people search and like responding in real time. Like someone in the gray sweaters close. Whoever's doing this is having a blast. It could also be a couple people. I see uh, Jennifer Bishop, who's in the live chat right now told it just mentions that the group is now up to 4300 followers mm -hmm. so it could also be let's say you grew it big enough and made your like here i'm just kind of thinking long term and also thinking of trying to monetize and market it is let's say if um if it grew to be even bigger this group maybe they could make the puzzles more complicated and include like sponsorship and stuff. Like I'm just thinking if someone's yeah, investing yeah. money. Well, I mean, I've seen things like that done before, like um, a number of years ago, it, it was a while ago, maybe 10 years ago or something. Um, 101.9, the giant. Ran. It's a Cape Breton radio station, it's right? It's a Cape Breton radio station, but it's owned by, I think it, it's under the same family of a lot of uh, maritime based uh, radio stations or, Canadian ones, but um, when they first launched here in Cape Breton, they had this kind of marketing plan, uh, kind of promotion going where there was, um, you had to find, I can't remember what it was that you had to find, but if you found it, you won $10,000. So it was some kind of a, and then every like week or so they would post clues. So it was hidden somewhere um i kind of remember this yeah it was hidden somewhere like on the island but i think they were specific about this kind of municipality the city mm -hmm. um and then yeah they would post clues and then you had to go and try and find it and whoever found it won uh ten thousand dollars so it went on for a little while because it took a little while for people to find it hmm. um and where it ended up being it was under i think it would ended up being if my memory serves me that it was under a garbage can on the boardwalk. Hmm. And I remember after a fair amount of the clues had been released, I was like, it's sounding more and more like the boardwalk. And I went for a walk along the boardwalk, but I didn't think to look under the garbage can. Oh, what a But I did mistake. like just go, me and my partner at the time, I was like, well, let's just go for a walk on the boardwalk anyway. We we're going for a walk. So and I have a theory of somewhere there. And I kind of just looked around, but I wasn't seriously, seriously looking. Okay. Well, um, it's, it's, and then I read that it was found, yeah, on the boardwalk. It was under one of the garbage cans or something. It kind of fits, like, I guess the mission for this series is to kind of find and highlight kind of the weird and offbeat little stories. Um, this person, I guess, whoever the Roman Dungarvan is, gets like a tip of the hat from us because they are mm -hmm. actually doing some work to keep Canada weird. Uh, Miramichi yeah. is a small little place with very little going on. So I can only assume that there is like a, an energy and an excitement around Miramichi that uh, hasn't been there for a long time. Thanks to somebody who has, you know, a couple hundred dollars to throw at making the community. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. So let's, let's move on. So great work, uh, Roman Dungarvan. We salute you. Uh, we're not necessarily going to salute the next few people. Um, should we go to, I think we'll save dismemberment for last. Do you want to yeah, get into yeah. car crashes? Let's, or just... let's, let's crash these cars. So we actually, so 
something about the last week in Canada um, generated, there was something in the air that generated two very unique car crash stories. Uh, I'm going to read you one, first of all, set in Halifax, my hometown. And this, uh, again, just happened very recently. Uh, the title or the headline of what I'm going to read to you, this is a Saltwire article. The headline is going to give away what happened. DNA on Tim Horton's lid sinks Halifax hit and run driver. And this is going to be a very Canadian crime. Let me roll the Canadian crime intro. Oh, nice. This week in crime in Canada. When a man driving a stolen Honda Accord ran a red light causing a crash in Halifax intersection on February 23rd, 2021, he took off on foot in a red and black plaid lumberjack jacket. Lumberjack jacket is kind of a weird Yeah, lumberjack phrase. jacket. Mm-hmm. Says I've never I don't think I've ever said it like that cuz like jack jack. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, so on February 23rd of last year, hit and run, he takes off in a red plaid lumberjack jacket. Halifax Regional Police tracked down the thief by testing the DNA he left behind on a Tim Hortons couplet. The hit and run happened at about 11 a.m. at the intersection of Quinpool Road and Roby Street. When police got there, the Honda Accord was in the westbound lane of Quinpool, facing in the wrong direction. The passenger side of the vehicle was heavily damaged and the airbags were off. Witnesses told police the Honda had gone through a red light right before it got hit by a Toyota RAV4 that just started heading south on Roby when the driver's light turned green. The RAV4 driver had a sore neck and planned to get her injuries checked at the hospital. He advised that his daughter was also in the front seat and she was quite a bit shaken up. The Honda's driver ran away, heading down an alley beside Domino's Pizza. The Honda's owner had reported it stolen overnight. A search of the Honda turned up several uncapped, used, and loaded syringes throughout, said the detective. There were several items relevant to drug use in the vehicle, garbage, and items indicating long-term use of the vehicle, such as clothing, garbage, and drinking vessels. Police seized an unloaded 22 caliber rifle in the trunk and 21 bullets for the gun in a case near the Honda's front seat. Police, uh, among the other debris, police found zigzag rolling papers near the steering wheel, metal smoking pipes, and a red bag of cash, a small plastic bag of marijuana, cigarette butts, and the and the plastic lid from a Tim Hortons cup. Forensic officers prote- processed the interior of the stolen Accord and swabbed the Tim Hortons cup lid located inside the vehicle. Samples of the swab were sent for DNA at analysis and a male DNA profile was developed and entered into the DNA data bank. The DNA profile was matched to a known offender on the National DNA Data Bank belonging to Neil Conroy. Bradley wanted a warrant to get a blood sample from Conroy to compare to the DNA on the Tim Hortons coffee lid that had been left in the stolen Honda. Police got the sample from Conroy this past February by pricking his skin surface (laughs) with a sterile lancet. That's kind of like very detailed to describe how that exactly it is. Did. Yeah. Is it necessary? I don't yeah. know. But we're closing it up now. So a judge sentenced Conroy last month to 78 months in federal prison on 30 charges, including several break and enters, as well as failing to stop at the scene of the February 23rd, 2021 crash on Quimpool, possession of stolen goods worth more than 5,000, which was the Honda and several weapon charges stemming from that day. The judge also banned Conroy from owning firearms for life. And it, the article closes by saying that this man, this Conroy, has been sentenced on 84 charges in Nova Scotia <laughs> since 1998. So that was, wow. a, that was a long way to get. To, like, that was a very detailed article. But ultimately, Buddy gets in a car accident uh, to, uh, in a stolen car and takes off. And the police's investigation was thorough enough to include swabbing for DNA on a coffee. Yeah, that yeah, that's 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 what kind of shocked me about it is that they went to that length to. And that's that's one thing, yeah. That I guess you know when you're kind of, I wouldn't put that off as uh, oh what a dumb criminal or whatever. It's the kind of mm-hmm. thing where, I don't know if I would have thought of that if I was stealing a car and you know and I whip through a drive-thru to get a coffee and 
you yeah. know, they might get my D- DNA, but I mean, I, they don't have my DNA on file, I wouldn't think. So I guess I wouldn't have to worry about it, but they ended up getting his eventually. Yeah. Well, this guy, he seems to like, again, 84 charges since 98. He's well, a bad dude. Well, it seems dude. to me like this was someone who wants to go to jail. Oh, uh, he's probably in and out all the time with that many charges. Yeah, it's probably, probably nothing just to really go back. Nothing. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, it's three square meals a day and, a, 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 you know, a decent cost. Um, but I wonder if if the motivation to do the like because the whole DNA analysis and stuff that costs some money and stuff, and I I'm sure they don't do it for every like crime of like property theft or anything. But in this case, there was like firearms and stuff in the car. Well, yeah, it was probably they were like, this looks like a serious individual, and we really want to get this person sooner mm-hmm. than later. Well, they got him, and now he's going to go down as the guy who was got busted for. <laughs> because of a coffee cup, Tim's cup. That's a, well, which makes I, I, it a Canadian just, crime. It makes it a Canadian crime, and I also think it really sheds light on uh, people who drink Tim Hortons. I think the type of people who support criminals. Like that. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah, everyone who drinks Tim Hortons needs to get thrown in jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I don't you. drink it because I'm not a criminal. So that's not the only car crash we have to discuss. Um, we have another one here. This one, not set in Halifax. We're going to be heading out to Ontario for um, a car crash that occurred, uh, I think I think it was on the 8th of May, so just days ago. This is another one with a kind of a weird twist in it. doesn't involve a Tim Hortons cup, though. The headline of this article is, Nursing Grad Stops to Help at Horrific Crash Only to Have Her Car Stolen. So here we go. An Ottawa nursing school graduate recently had the ride of her life, stopping to help a serious crash only to have her own car stolen. Vanessa Fortino and her boyfriend were driving home on the Vanier Parkway at about 11 p.m. Thursday after buying groceries when she noticed something approaching fast in her rearview mirror. I kind of swerved out of the way because a car was driving towards me going at least 100 to 120 kilometers an hour, she recalled on Sunday afternoon. Believing it was a reckless driver racing at night, Fortino initially didn't think much of it, until about 15 seconds later as she approached Queen Mary Street. We're one of the first cars to pull up on this massive, horrific car accident, she says. Realizing the two-vehicle crash was likely caused by the driver who had just passed her, Fortino's nursing instincts kicked into gear. She jumped out of her Toyota RAV4 and offered assistance. The keys were in her pocket, but she forgot that but she hadn't turned off the engine in her push-to-start vehicle, and her boyfriend also had gotten out. She initially went to help an older man in a white car. Its front end had been crumpled by the crash and was completely gone, Fortino says. When she realized the man, while shaken, wasn't in critical condition, she moved on to the black car, which was about 100 meters away and had flipped multiple times. With glass and debris littering the road, Fortino sprinted, believing the driver could be dead. There's somebody on the other side of the sidewalk, another bystander. Oh, wait, sorry. No, this is her talking. There's somebody on the other side of the... (laughs) Because I know where the story's going to go. So there's a different voice Mm. I'll use for this. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to it. Now, what's her voice? There's somebody on the other side of the sidewalk, another bystander. And he screams out to me and he goes, nobody's in there. And I look over at him and I'm like, what do you mean nobody's in there? And almost at that exact moment, another car emerged from beyond the rubble. All you hear is like a car engine kind of rev, like vroom, and it swerves right through all the glass and debris. You can hear the sound of like metal hitting the car tires and stuff, she said. The car speeds through there, and immediately, as soon as I see the lights of the car, I realize that's my car. At the time, Fortino didn't make the connection that the driver who'd crashed the black car had enough strength to not only walk away from the crash, but to walk away and steal her Honda. After asking someone else at the scene if they could catch a lift, Fortino, her boyfriend, and their two new driving companions raced off. And since her cell phone was in the car, the group could could trace it. I was expecting my car to be totaled, Fortino said on Sunday afternoon. But when they found the car, the man who stole in it was already in the back of a police cruiser. Officers had spotted the speeding vehicle and followed it. Although he'd driven Fortino's car over the curb and wedged it against a street sign, he missed a nearby fire hydrant and tree. 
Some of her belongings were damaged, including a recently purchased computer, but the car was in one, sa in one piece with only minimal damage on the outside. In fact, she drove it home that night. There's a little bit of, I'd say, blood and muddy handprints on my steering wheel, my door handle, my center console, and the gear shift. But that's about it, she said. In an email on Monday, Ottawa police said a 40-year-old Ottawa man was charged with dangerous operation of a motor vehicle, theft of a motor vehicle, failure to stop at an accident, and possession of proceeds of property obtained by crime over $5,000. With Fortino's hectic Thursday night behind her, she's pleased the other man involved in the crash is okay, and she's walking away from the incident with a lesson she thought she'd never learn. Don't ever leave your engine on and park your car, even in an emergency situation, she said, because the person you're trying to help, they may very well steal your car. I think the lesson is don't help anyone ever. Well, yeah, that's a... Because something bad will happen to you every time. Well, that that could be the mm -hmm. lesson because it it can happen if you get into a a situation you don't know what's going on. You just happen upon something. But I think hum, it's human. It's like when you go to help like a an injured animal and it's fearful of you, so it tries to bite you. Yeah, it jumps up like gotcha. Uh. Yeah, oh, give me give me your face. <laughs> um, but in this in this story, I think uh, I've never really thought about that. When there's like a car accident, I would. Very like I also would pull over and offer to help if it was serious, and I was the first one. Of course, yeah, um, yeah, we all would. But I think this person who stole the car, who first was seen speeding past her, you know, earlier, and then, you know, crashed their car and flipped it over a bunch of times, and then was in such a desperate state that they then climbed out of their smashed car and stole. Um, you know someone else's car they, they were running from something yeah like what the heck were they up to what happened leading up to this you know because you see this in a movie or a tv show like you know this this seems like somebody is running from something very serious mm -hmm. well i would love to know but i have a feeling I don't know. I yeah. I don't know. Maybe you're right. It, it could be like a that we just captured like a moment of like a. This is just movie. a moment. Like we're the extras in the movie, you know. Like well, she is, and and hey, my car. Then like the movie carries on, following the yeah. other person, right? And now he's in like a prison cell, and he's explaining to like the prison guard, like you mm. gotta let me out of here. You don't realize what's you happening. You understand my family. We're all gonna be. He's gonna get us. It's like Terminators. Like eventually gonna show up in there and get him. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm John Connor. <laughs> uh, that could be what's happening. Um, I guess we'll see. We'll we'll follow this story if it takes that kind of turn. But only if it takes a Terminator style turn. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be pretty dramatic. Only if it's a time travel sci-fi based uh, kind of uh, storyline will we continue with this mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. uh, let's move on to something even less pleasant than stolen vehicles and dna swabbing up your nose or whatever let's move on to um creepy public pools hello listeners i'm sorry to pull you out of the episode like this but i want to give you a bit of a tip on how you can support the creation of nighttime and look great doing it if you check out the store at nighttimepodcast.com, you're going to see a dizzying array of nighttime podcast-themed shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, and assorted apparel. It all comes in a variety of sizes, fits, and colors, and I'm adding new designs regularly. So if you're looking for something new to wear and want to support the creation of nighttime as you wear it, go visit the store at nighttimepodcast.com. Now let's get back to the episode. Aaron, are you willing to swim in a public pool? And I mean like the kind that's like in a building where you go and you go in a locker room and change and then you get in a pool with a bunch of people without shirts mm. on. Like, are you cool with that? No shirts on. Yeah, that's that's where you draw the line, obviously. Ah, it's just weird. Um, I, I, I've used public pools. Um, before the pandemic, I was going to a gym here in uh, Cape Breton and, and they had a pool as well. And yeah, I would use a locker room and 
I would swim in the pool after a little, after a workout and um, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. And, and, and I met lots of nice new friends. Oh, really? You would talk to strangers like without, well, they would on. talk to me and, and I was being sarcastic when I said that. But... Okay, good. <laughs> no, right, I, that would be I did meet lots of people that would just kind of talk at me and I would just kind of get changed in front of them. Um, yeah. Okay. That's kind of how I picture public pools like that. Well, I, I don't mind that. Um, I have no problem Kinky. changing in front of anyone who wants to watch. All right. Well, if that's the case, maybe this pool would be all right for you. And I'm talking about the Grandview Heights Aquatic Center in Surrey, BC. Uh, they found themselves on the news uh, this past week for, a, I guess, uh, I'm thinking this is probably a criminal situation, but it's not isolated. This public pool has a bit of a reputation and a history when it comes to creepiness. So let's start by what happened last week i'm going to tell you about the flasher incident at south Sur at the south Sur at a south surrey aquatic center so a south sir it's hard to say south <laughs> surrey south surrey yeah i'm just going to call it surrey i don't know surrey enough that i won't need to divide like the north from the south to like understand what's happening you're going to get so a lot of surrey listeners that are going to be sending you emails at the end of the show yeah well, bring it. So a Surrey mother is calling for adjustments to the universal change room. Oh, wait. Yeah. A Surrey mother is calling for adjustments to the universal universal change room at the Grandview Heights Aquatic Center after her daughter reported being flashed during an afternoon visit last week. The woman, who asked not to be identified in order to protect her daughter's privacy, said a man changing in one of the stalls left the door open and exposed himself to the 21-year-old around 2 p.m. on May 4th. He then followed her daughter for a few minutes, she added. I don't know what he was trying to do, the woman said. My daughter was trying to get into her locker to get her clothes and to change. The woman said police and pool staff were alerted, and an image of the man was found on the facility's security cameras. Surrey RCMP confirmed that the Mounties were alerted to an incident at approximately 2.15 on May 4th. Corporal Vanessa Munn said that the matter is still under investigation. The mother noted it's not the first time that a concerning incident occurred at this aquatic center located at 16855 24th Avenue, where the universal change room was designed with an open layout accessible to all with private stalls and showers. In June 2016, a peeping Tom was banned from the facility after a woman reported being filmed while showering in one of the private stalls. Officials at that time for ventilation officials confirmed officials at that time confirmed that for ventilation purposes and to comply with health regulations, there are some sides of the shower stalls that don't go right up to the ground. Um, in an email statement Friday, May 6th, officials from the city's Parks, Recreational, and Cultural Department said no similar concerns had been fielded in the past few years. Structural changes to the universal change rooms to improve privacy were made shortly after the facility opened in 2016 and monitoring of the spaces as part of a regular staff rotation to increase patron safety, the statement adds. Staff were made aware of the incident on May 4th and followed proper protocol and no further information was provided by police or city officials. So let me ask, and that's the full article, but let me ask you this whole idea of this universal change room. Does that mean like men and women are in a change room together? Mm -hmm. this, right? That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. So it's, it's just an open field um, change room. So there are private stalls and yeah, okay. that's, that's what it sounds like. I've never been in a public pool that does that. It's always, well, actually I'm just trying there's like a pool kind of, center thing near my house that i've been to a few times when my kids are doing swimming lessons and there was i think I, but maybe i use this a, a fan i think there's like a men's women's and then like a family change room and i think right. i use the family because i was with kids but um mm. the idea of of a universal change room at a public pool maybe i listen to too much like nighttime podcast type stuff um, to be comfortable in that situation. But it strikes me as odd um, and kind of unsafe. And in this case, we see, we hear of a man exposing himself to a young woman uh, and then following her around a bit. 
I'm not surprised that that would happen. But as that article hinted to, this place is a bit of a reputation with things like this happening. It specifically mentioned a peeping Tom. So uh, I, I had to learn more about what that was all about. So I found an article covering this event at the same pool from 2016. This uh, I'll skim through this one with you as well. The headline for this article is Peeping Tom Banned from City Facility After Grandview, Grandview Pool User is Recorded. So a, woman's re a woman reports that she was filmed while showering at the new Granville Heights Aquatic Center Sunday, which has prompted a review of everything at the facility, including cell phone usage, to prevent a repeat of, a repeat of this situation. We're, we're reviewing what we, can hopefully do, what we can do to hopefully mitigate this from ever happening again, Stacy Rennie, the city's manager of community and recreational services for South Surrey, told Peace Arch News on Tuesday. A proliferation of cell phone usage now is something we need to be aware of and constantly reviewing. The incident occurred Sunday morning at the facility, which opened its doors to public in March, but held its grand open, opening in June. The facility told Global News she the victim told Global News she was in one of the private showers when she noticed a man was filming her with his phone. The facility was designed with universal change rooms, an open layout accessible of all to all. With a, with a dozen private stalls and showers. Rennie confirmed that for ventilation purposes and to comply with health regulations, there are some sides of the shower stalls that don't go right up, that don't go right to the ground. Okay, I get what that means. So it's like kind mm, of like a yeah, floating Yeah, you see panel. that commonly with stalls. They don't, I don't think I've ever seen a stall that went all the way to the ground yeah. anywhere. It's, it's like the cheapest version of a wall. Um. So here we go. So she said the perpetrator was identified and has been a, has been banned indefinitely from all city of Surrey facilities. Corporal Scotty Schumann confirmed the police are also investigating. He'd not share details, citing a lack of charges and privacy, but said the investigation has been closed. We've dealt with the matter in consultation with the victim, Schumann said. And after investigation, after an investigation, we have no concerns for public safety at this point. So my first, that's the article. My first thought is there's no charges. Like you can do that and not and get caught and not be charged. Yeah. yeah. I found that unusual too. Like I would assume there would be some kind of charge for filming or taking pictures of anybody without their consent and that in a change room or, you know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but there is rules about like, you know, filming in public, like in a public place you can, but certainly that doesn't extend to like, bathrooms um yeah i don't i don't know the legal system enough but there has to be a law that addresses this and even if there isn't a law you would think the pool itself would find a way like the facility would find a way to fix this uh, a follow-up article posted a couple months later had the headline no changes after the peeping tom report and the first couple paragraphs say a city-led review of a new South Surrey pool sparked by a complaint of a peeping Tom filming a woman has found no concerns with its changing room and, and shower facility. The facility meets or exceeds all building codes and Fraser health requirements. Stacy Rennie, the city's manager of community and recreational services for South Surrey said, um, and they have a great quote from the victim in this article. Where is it here? What the victim says is the pool really is not doing their due diligence. They like the aesthetics. And yeah, the pool is beautiful, but they need to do something here. The 51, 57 year old said, and then they end their quote with this place is a pedophile's dream come true. Mm, a pedophile's Ooh. dream come true. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. So let that be a warning for anyone who's planning to go to a public pool. If you're going to shower, even if it's in a private stall, maybe keep your swimsuit on but i guess even if you do i don't want someone filming me in my swimsuit either oh yeah you don't want anyone filming you at any point in time when you haven't consented to it um mm. it's it's weird even if you're fully clothed um, <laughs> i don't know like it's unless somebody tells you hey i'm filming or you can see them holding the camera up and you're like okay i know i'm being filmed but you know to find out you were filmed no matter what you're doing and then you find out after the fact is weird yeah. Are you surprised to see these two incidents play out in the same pool within a couple year period? Like, would it surprise you that it's at least this often that these kinds of 
things happen. Filming, someone filming a girl showering, then another guy's exposing himself to a young woman. And I'm assuming it's two different guys. It must be. Um, yeah, probably. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I, it's it's. So you, you see a lot of gender neutral um, like bathrooms and things popping up uh, all over the place now. Mm. Um, and I guess it's kind of. Yeah, I guess. I, I don't know how this gets addressed in the sense of. Um, those particular issues that people are could run into in those situations where hmm. um you know uh, somebody who wants to maybe expose themselves or film somebody has more access in a situation like that but hmm. um i don't know it's called it's yeah it's a tough one yeah well it needs to be considered both in terms of the design of the space and then there needs to be bite to law enforcement you, you can't do this stuff and just get away with it. like i think yeah if you go around asking people to vote like should you be able to get away with doing this i think unanimously canadians will say like there should be repercussions of filming someone while they're showering in a public pool or exposing yourself to a young woman from the stall at the public pool and then following her around well, it's I mean, a, there has to be a charge for that. I don't uh, like uh, the filming one maybe is more of a gray area for some reason. But I mean, exposing yourself to someone, I guess, was he in the stall when he did it? I think yeah, maybe said he, he was trying to create a gray area, too, where he's like, well, I'm changing and the door is open. And, so take a look. Yeah, so like, take a look. I don't know. <laughs> like, um. Yeah, I guess be... maybe he was thinking that if I expose if I expose myself to her while I'm standing in the stall, they can't get me. Uh, because it's like international waters in here. Like is, this is a yeah. private space that I'm in. This is my space. And, and you're looking at. <laughs> and yeah, and you're the one looking at me, even though, you know. That I'm dancing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh it, but this isn't funny i i i do not like these people it, it will make me second guess a public pool well you know let's not let a few bad apples ruin wonderful public pools all over this great country oh i bet you we could find stories like this from half the pools in this country if anyone out there has a public pool in your hometown or the community you live in uh, Google the name of that pool and add the word, you know, creep or sexual assault. I'm sure there's stories. We'll find them. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, hopefully, hopefully there's not a lot of this happening all over the place. Um, you know, I, I grew up going to a public pool and I, I have fond memories and nobody ever exposed themselves to me. Well, so that's, that's you are one of the say. lucky ones um well let's let's move on from public pools um they're giving me the heebie-jeebies mm -hmm. uh, although our well, the next chlorine the chlorine will get rid of the heebie-jeebies for you the next uh series of stories isn't going to make us feel any better we've gone from car crashes which are uncomfortable to indecent exposure slash um i don't know what you would call it um voyeurism at public pools which is even less comfortable than a car crash but i think the ultimate in discomfort are stories surrounding dismemberment and that's what we're mm. about to drive and in, dive into you ready for this i'm always ready for a good dismemberment story uh you also like cat stories right oh right yeah i blocked this one out of my mind after i read it and then you just brought it back I'm sorry this one is just yeah read it well this is like file this under wtf uh because i do i don't get this so this is an article in a story that played out uh may 6th vancouver island bc the headline of this article and this is crazy enough investigation underway after cougar kittens found beheaded on vancouver island so bc conservation officers are investigating after two dead cougar kittens were found without their heads or their paws on vancouver island the bc 
conservation officers say the cubs were found shot and killed near 64 service road in the Kawachan Valley. The service estimates the killings were the kittens were illegally poached within the last week. The killing of cougar kittens shows a blatant disregard for ethical hunting and wildlife conservation, says Mark Kissinger, a conservation officer in Duncan in a social media post on Thursday. Thankfully, this is not the type of, of offense we see regularly. Um, the BCCOS, which is like the Confer Conservation Society, is reminding residents that it's illegal to kill cougar kittens, defined as being under one year of age or still having spots, and that it's illegal to kill a cougar that's in a family unit. Conservation Officer Robin Sano says the kittens were about three months old, resembling small domestic cats, and they'd likely been in, clo in close proximity to their mother at the time. Sano says the Conservation Service hasn't identified a suspect, so they can only speculate about why someone would kill and remove parts of the cubs. Whether it would be a trophy or whether it would be a chew toy for somebody's dog, we can't say at this point. Sano called the incident rare and isolated, though, though he noted it's hard to know what might have been happening in the bush when no one's around to report it. We're looking for members to basically report anything unusual. If somebody turns up with cougar paws or reports that they shot young cougars, that's what we're going to be interested in. And anyone with the information about this um, can contact BC's Report All Poachers and Polluters hotline at 1-877-952-7277. And I will say right now, if anyone listening knows who did this and reports it and has them arrested, I will send them uh, all sorts of cool nighttime stuff and... Uh, and some cash. I would love to mm, find out. Yeah, I'd chuck in this. some money in on this too. Yeah, it's so gross. Who would do, like, why would they do this? I, like, just so here's the thing. So cougars, um, what I was thinking is cougars can be like predators. And if you have a farm or something, maybe they're killing your mm. chickens. So maybe you would want to like shoot them if they're near your property. But you wouldn't like cut off their heads and paws. To me, that says like trophy. No, that's a that's a poaching situation for sure. But what would you and but it's not a big cougar like a little kitten, so it's well like it's a, probably some somebody wants there. There's a market for probably any anything like that in BC. Well, who knows? I don't know. I mean, maybe the individual themselves wanted it to make some kind of a a decorative piece for their whatever. Yeah, but you it's, know, it's just maybe, but it's a, a, like a cat's head is small. Like if you, why wouldn't they go for the big? It's one? probably harder to get kitten cougar yeah maybe it's this right. for lack of a better phrase oh i just i hate it whatever it yeah. is it exposes this this seedy underworld of like poaching that i don't want to even know it exists it just gives us a glimpse i think it's giving us a glimpse into a world that i would rather not know exists especially in canada i yeah i hate it Oh, no, it's just disgusting. And it's, you know, and you see sometimes um, pictures of, of uh, you know, people standing over an exotic animal of some kind, you know, holding their gun and, oh, look what I hunted, you know, <clears throat> rich people who pay, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars to go over and, and hunt, you know, and, and they get some kind of an off-grid tour guide to go and take them to hunt an exotic animal. Mm -hmm. But even um, those people would have like kind of the uh, morality of not killing like a cub or, you know, the people who go and kill like the exotic animals. They, like I've never seen it, it, situations where they're shooting like baby elephants or something like that. But I'm sure, again, there's there's people out there that have a taste for that kind of stuff. Oh man! You know sick. the rare that it is, like where it's whereas you're not allowed to 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 shoot, you know, um, baby cougars. So it probably makes it a rare thing, a rare trophy piece. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely I I see in the chat people are referencing uh, Luca Magnata. Um, yeah, and somebody also um, mentioned the uh, the feet that were that were found on the west coast, the human feet um it's kind oh, of a yeah. connection yeah yeah, yeah. It, the feet washing up in boots or whatever mm -hmm. or in shoes um that's of all the topics that are recommended 
to nighttime, like since I started in like 2016 or whatever, I got so many requests for like, you should do a story or an episode on all the feet being found, um, being washed up on shore in like Alberta or BC or wherever it was. Yeah. But I, I went and I, um, my research went as depth as listening to an episode of the podcast Stuff You Should Know, which I love. Uh, they yeah. did, they did an episode on the dismembered feet washing up, and it like it completely debunked any mystery. It did, yeah. I, I've seen some stuff on it too. That because uh, because for a long while I was like, this is a crazy story. Like, yeah, what like, could possibly like seventy feet washed up here? Mm. Like, but then when you yeah, when you actually hear like kind of like the way the tides flow and the fact that when a body ends up in the water, the shoe protects the bones of the foot the ankle is a weak spot so as the body falls apart the shoe mm. which floats and gets carried away you know keeps a bit of the foot in there it's gross to think about but it actually makes sense that yeah shoes would sure. wash up mm. uh, with feet in them um, i remember when that story was first breaking and i was reading articles about it as it was happening uh years and years ago and i was like this is nuts what is this i assumed it was ufos I thought it was you. No. Um, we got to get away from darker uh, dismemberment stories. I got something a little lighter to wrap this up with. Do you know what has been going on in Winnipeg regarding a dismembered hand? Mm, well, I read the article, so okay. yeah. I so know. yeah, you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a co-host on this show, so I pre-read the articles before... Okay. So you're yeah, you send them to me by an email. This is a behind the scenes, you know, kind of kind of view of how the show works. But Jordan sends me an email earlier in the day saying, here's the articles we're going to be covering. And then I read them before okay. the episode. OK, so you read this. All right. Well, mm -hmm. for people who haven't read it yet that aren't co-hosting, let me tell you about the paddlers who located a statue of a giant hand that was carried away by a swollen river. Now, for people who can't see the article or haven't read this article, um, even better than like the article in the description is the photo that is taken showing two small little canoes with uh, two people in each canoe with this massive, like true to life looking hand in the stream between them. And they're just kind of rowing up the stream it looks like carrying this massive hand that looks very real uh i saw this image it was shared to me um by uh stephanie was the listener's name who sent this um stephanie sent this to me and wanted just that image i'm like man what the hell happened well here's what happened a statue of a hand that disappeared after it was washed off the bank of a swollen river in winnipeg earlier this week has been rescued thanks to a group of canoeists and kayakers who set off on Saturday to find it. Charles Burchill, a, an avid Winnipeg paddler, said word got out that the fiberglass hand, which stands taller than a person, was no longer on the bank of the Cyan River in Winnipeg. Paddlers said that the statue had been on the bank not far from the city's perimeter highway for more than a decade on the property of a museum worker who saved the former exhibit from the garbage. I think it's one of those things that everybody, when they paddle down that end of the, of the river, looks for. It's like a landmark that's kind of fun to see on the shore, Burchill said in a phone interview. Flood watches and advisories had been in effect for Manitoba for a couple of weeks now, although the spot where the statue sits is downstream from where the Cyan River um, passes through a channel underneath the Red River floodway. When flows get strong in the Cyan, much of the excess water gets channeled off into the floodway, regulating the flow further downstream. But still, Birchill said the river had been higher than usual earlier this week, likely tipping the hand over and carrying it off. How far it had gone was unknown, he said. So on Saturday morning, two canoes and two people, an open, and two people on open-topped kayaks launched on the Cyan River to look for it. Birchill said they got about 600 meters downtown where they uh, downstream, 600 meters downstream <laughs> where they they weren't rowing downtown, 600 no, meters no. downstream where they spotted the, the giant hand floating against a down tree. The hand was right on top of the surface, so it was quite easy to spot. But we did need to go up around a couple of corners, 
so you wouldn't have been able to see it from the normal walking paths or from the small number of houses that are along the shore, Birchill says. Initially, the paddlers thought they'd be able to pull the hand to shore and transport it overland, or maybe hoist it atop one of their canoes to carry it back to its home. But Birchill said they soon discovered it weighed at least a couple hundred pounds. So instead, he said they rigged up rope, ropes so they could tow it between the two canoes in a way that it wouldn't get damaged by bumping against the canoes or the trees. It took about an hour of paddling upstream, but they finally reached their destination where the statue's owner greeted them and they hauled it back to its normal display position. I think right after we left, there were a couple of people. There was a group of people, I'm hoping, walking the Cyan River, and I think one of their hopes was to see that hand, Burchill said. So we kind of timed it just right to get it back before anybody came looking. <laughs> so uh, remember we talked about the... The potato. Yeah, the giant and, things in towns. Yeah, so this is kind of like a story of one of those giant things in towns. but And it's it's not necessarily a dismemberment story. I just stuck it no, in No, but I think, I find this a sad story. What's sad about it? Because I think the hand was trying to escape. And then these people found the hand and were like, oh no, we'll take you back to your home hand. But the hand couldn't talk to them, so the hand... I was like, no, no, I'm trying to escape. Please don't bring me back there. This guy's a freak at the pool. Yeah, um, yeah. It could have been. I. What's sad to me, what's sad about it is they brought it back and they put it back where in its normal display position. And if I know anything about like waterways and flooding and weather is they work on like it, it generally it follows a bit of a pattern and maybe the, the flooding doesn't happen often but it's going to happen again so mm -hmm. hopefully these guys are ready in 20 or 30 years well i say guys these men and women are ready in 20 and 30 years to go fish this thing out again and hopefully it doesn't get destroyed why wouldn't they have put it back a little further or maybe elevated it on something that this would needs again? to be attached to its giant body what? like what? it yeah that's you another know, thing like the, the hand is I don't, i'm not sure what the hand is or what it represents why they put a, a giant hand up where they put it but maybe they need to finish the job and make the giant that this hand belongs to they said the hand stands about as tall as a like a person so it's like a six foot high hand and looking at that picture the thing is huge it's like as big as a kayak mm -hmm. yeah um, yeah whatever so body imagine the size seems. of the of the individual that owns that hand mm, that's kind of frightening um yeah when I look at it, it kind of reminds me of a glove, and I'll let people know I've gotten a lot of requests for um, uh, merchant nighttime podcast themed merchandise that uses the theme of gloves, leather gloves, for whatever reason. I made uh, the first design, and I have a shirt available on the nighttime podcast store, which you can access through nighttimepodcast.com. And it's just, I'm very proud of this design. I'll show it to you on my phone, but it's. Um, I don't know what I was going yeah. for with it, but it says no glove, no love. And it has like this picture of like a guy with like a leather glove. I don't know if you can see mm. that, Aaron, but maybe I'll get you one. It would look good. on Yeah. You. Yeah. I saw the, I think you had them up on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've been doing a bunch of different designs lately and mm. uh, I'm going to, I have more glove ones coming. Maybe I'll make one of this big hand. Yeah, yeah. If, if if the listeners so desire the so riveted by the hand story that they need a t-shirt. Yeah. Um, well, we had a this is one of our longest episodes. And I think that is kind of a statement to this show and this series having an impact on the frequency and severity of weird stories playing out in Canada. I think we're making a difference. Yeah. Our, the, the weirder Canada gets, the harder our jobs get. Um yeah yeah we really got to carry the load of weird stories mm -hmm. uh from around canada so um i guess we can start wrapping it up is there anything you want to say any parting messages anything that you're you know that's on your radar that you want to amplify in any way no well, i just want to you know it feels good to kind of conclude the ellen saga mm -hmm. you know and kind of really gain the closure there that i think we both deserved uh and, what are you going to um, do with this 
I'm going to, well, once I have it physically in my hand, I'll probably frame it and uh, put it up in my office. It'd look great in there. Um, yeah, well, I'm coming down. I'm doing a live event on the 21st of May. I will bring it with me then. Yeah, and then it'll finally be in my hands. Um, and this... you, you, if you're alive when you hand it to me, then that'll be good. Then it's good. Then I'll accept it. All right, well, let's wrap it up with that. Aaron, until next time. Until next time, Jordan. Stay away from creeps and pools. give the world a hand. I want to thank you for joining Aaron and I on our journey to keep Canada weird. But before we part here, I have some thanks. First, a big thanks to Aaron for again sharing an evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. A big thanks to Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode, and thanks to the internet's favorite cult leader, Unicole, for supplying the intro and outro narrations. But most importantly, I want to give a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is, and it has always been, an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, make sure you're listening on the premium feed. And not only does that keep the show alive, it'll give you more of each topic than you'll find here on the free feed as I'm adding exclusive content regularly. So for about the price of a cup of coffee, you can go premium at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And with that said, let me thank the newest subscribers of the premium feed, Ray, Judy, and Jason. Thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't do it financially, you can help keep Canada weird by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting some like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas, if you want to give feedback on the show or contribute a voice memo to be heard in an upcoming episode, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. Aaron and I hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other. Hug your loved ones tight and let us know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte. Beautiful, serene, majestic, the true north, strong and weird.